But nonetheless, I want to take some time with you this morning. I'm going to be a good steward of your time. I say that every week, so you may come back at the end and say, I didn't think you was that good of a steward. But I'm going to do my best to try to make sure I'm not wasting too much of your time on this Sunday. Is that okay? Uh, but I do feel that, that, that I have a message for you, and I, I feel like it's a simple message, though we may dig in pretty deep. It, it, it's a simple message this morning that I feel like God wants me to share. It's not something that I'm telling you is um, like a just incredible brand new revelation that you've never heard. I'm not even going to pretend that it is, but I think it's something we need to be reminded of today. I think it is a simple truth that all of us at times, I can speak for myself, forget. Anybody know that? You, you can hear something over and over again, but you still forget it sometimes. Anybody feel that way? Maybe, maybe you're better than me. You're smarter than me. That's good. I'm telling you from the stage and transparency, there are times when I feel like the Lord slaps me on the back of my head like my dad would do and say, son, well, how many times have I told you? You know. But usually you know, there, there are times where maybe the seventh time or the 27th time or the 45th time or the time where it clicks in my mind. That's sort of where I feel like we're going today. If you have your Bibles, if you want to look there, they're going to bring it up on the screen. But we're going to be in the book of Luke today, Luke chapter 11. And just kind of give you a little bit of a, 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 some context if you want to go back and look at this. This chapter is a power-packed chapter. Now, we know we look at context and we're going to talk about but just look at what has happened up until this point where we start today. We'll let you know that Jesus has been dropping truth like nobody's business. Some of the, the greatest truths that Jesus ever taught are included in this chapter. And of course, they're included several times throughout the Gospels. But just in this chapter at the beginning is the account where the disciples asked Jesus, teach me how to pray. And what did Jesus give them? He gives them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Do you all know that? You've heard that before? Uh, a lot of times we read it out of Matthew, but in Luke chapter 11, that's Luke's account of it where he tells them, listen, this is how you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive our debts as we forgive those uh, who are our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. He gives them their prayer. Then right after that, he gives them a, prayer, a parable of a friend. He says, listen, you need to understand that Jesus is a friend. He said, I'm a friend that's closer to you. He gives them a parable. If you're in need and you go to your friend late at night, is your friend going to say, no, come back, quit bothering me? I mean, if they do, they may not be your friend, right? <laughs> come on, some of y'all, we need maybe a whole new sermon. We may have to go another day. I'll, I'll put that in the back. Some of y'all <laughs> may need to check your friends if they're like, no, leave me alone. Then that's not maybe a friend. Maybe we got a definition problem there. Jesus says, no, that's not a friend. So much as if you call on the name of the Lord... He's going to be there. Then he gives some of my favorite advice. He says, ask and it'll be? Yeah, seek and you'll knock and it shall be open to you. He's saying it's okay for you to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for things. Don't feel guilty to ask for things. You can go after some things that, that he asked for you. Seek them, knock, it'll be open. And then he tells them and gives them this parable. Listen, you ask your dad on earth for some bread. Is he going to give you a rock? You ask for some fish, is he going to give you a snake? If he, you ask for an egg, is he going to give you a scorpion? No, you, if a, a father on earth is going to take care of his kids, right? A good father will. A father who's doing what he's supposed to is going to take care of his kids. Is everybody with me? If, if a father on earth who's good will take care of his kids, how much more will our heavenly father do what? Take care of us. Isn't that good stuff? All that's in Luke 11 when we get to this point. Jesus is just saying, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily tell us if it all happened in one swoop or in a couple of days. I don't know. I just sort of infer and look at it in the chapter. But all of that, that truth when you read is right there, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And then we get to this scenario. We've had sort of teaching and Jesus talking and giving wisdom. And then we get into an occurrence. Something happens. And it starts here in verse 14. Watch with me. It says, and he was casting out a demon. Now, let me sort of pause there. When you start dropping truth like Jesus has been dropping, it's going to stir something up. Anybody understand what I'm saying? If there's truth being proclaimed, the enemy's not going to sit idly by and just, you know, well, I'll just leave them alone and go on down the road. Are y'all listening? When truth is being proclaimed, whether you're proclaiming the Word of God over your life, whether it's in this church, in this community where we're proclaiming the Word of God, I'm here to tell you, not glorifying, but I'm speaking some truth here, and we're going to get into this today. The devil's going to try to stop what's happening. 
The devil is going to rise up and try to fight. He's not going to just sort of lay down and let it occur. Does everybody understand that truth? And so it's, it, it's sort of ironic for all of those things where Jesus is really lining out the, the core principles of who, who, who he is and how we should handle the kingdom that he comes to someone who has a demon. But guess what he did? He cast the demon out. And the demon was mute. So apparently, you can infer from this, that he had come across someone who had been uh, overtaken by this demon. It may have been a demon of infirmity, an illness, something that was in his body, and it was causing this person to not be able to speak. All right? There was this spirit that was causing him not to be able to speak. Now, some of y'all are looking around right now. I just sense it. I need to make this statement. Quit praying for that spirit over that spouse right now. That's not of God. (laughs) So it was. When the demon had gone out, guess what happened? Look what it says. The mute did what? Stay mute. Spoke. Again, I may be getting ahead of myself, and and if I am, I apologize, but let's just make sure something's clear here. When the enemy leaves, something should be different. Y'all understand that? There should be a fundamental change. If someone, if the devil's been cast out of the the soul, out of the spirit, if if, if someone has been changed, there should be visible change in their life. Is everybody with me today? If he couldn't speak before and it was being caused by an evil spirit, once that evil spirit leaves, there should be speech that comes forth. Is everybody listening? A lot of people are living underneath victory and they're still in chains. And I am getting ahead of myself here. We'll go back to it in a moment. But part of it's because we don't understand. If if something's happened in your life, there should be change. We're living in a world today where people have tried to undermine and water down the gospel by trying to tell you it's okay for you to just be saved but still be the same. No, no, no. If you're saved, something should everything shouldn't be the same. If you're truly changed, if you've truly encountered Jesus, there should be something different when people look at you in your life. Is this good? I mean, pretty simple. I've read like a line. I think we could pray and dismiss right there, but I won't. So it said that the mute spoke and the multitudes what? Marveled. Anytime God did a miracle, it it was for God could receive glory. The people marveled. Not in any sort of vain way that Jesus was trying to get attention in a, in a way to just glorify. It was glorifying to the power that was within him, which was with his Father, God, right? Verse 15. But! <laughs> oh, don't you love that? I won't say anymore, but it, it, it's always one of those. Some of them said, He's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Again, evil spirit left, someone who couldn't talk healed, life radically changed, clear change has occurred in this life. Are you all with me? There has been a clear transformation. The Lord has come in and encountered this man, and this man will live a life different. But there's always those that even the greatest miracles that happen right in front of their face, they're still going to be skeptical. You ever heard this statement? I I used to get told this statement before, and it makes a lot of sense. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sometimes we get so deep and ideological, ideological, I can't even, it's easy for me to say apparently. We want to get so theological, and so we want to try to get into the deep recesses of everything, and we don't realize, look, the simple (laughs) beauty of God is right in front of us. He just saw the devil at work in someone's life, spoke his word, the word of God went forth. John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God, right? Jesus being the living word, spoke the word to this man, and the Satan immediately had to flee. Yet we don't want to believe that this is the Son of God, so we're going to say, ah, he must be the head of demons, he must be Beelzebub, he must be the demon possessed, so the demons are listening to him. Now does that make a lot of sense? And then notice the next verse, 16. Others weren't going that far. There were some who weren't that radical. Well, I'm not going to start talking about Beelzebub. That's weird. That's your people who don't like to say, man, we don't like, we get uncomfortable. We start talking about devils and demons, all that stuff. That's, we just like to live for the Lord in our nice little picket fence life. Listen, spiritual world is real. And listen, I, I get it. There's a lot of people that glorify it and, and probably spend so much time there. And there's balance. But understand, just because we may be uncomfortable doesn't mean we can deny the existence of a, of a devil and of a hell and of demonic attacks and principalities that are going on in the spiritual world even right now. 
And so others start testing him. They're saying, well, we still don't believe. And they're, they're testing him and they say that they're seeking what? A sign from heaven. Again, when I look at this, this is just me. Y'all may not be the, the cynic. Y'all may not be as, I guess I'll just use the term sarcastic as I can be sometimes. And I work on it and I pray for the Lord to help me use that only in appropriate times. But I read this and I'm like, what? They're wanting a sign from heaven. What did he just do? That man had never talked, and now he's talking. I'll tell you what, if I brought somebody up here on stage and we had that happen here, man, there'd be people running around the aisles. Y'all all have your phone cameras out. Y'all be shared it about 27,000 times on social media, and we'd have a house full next week. And that's good. I'm not saying miracles are bad, but I'm telling you this. They saw this miracle, but they still so cynical that they, I, I need another sign. They just witnessed a miracle, yet they wanted a sign. Let me tell you something. This is where we're going today. Men are often going to ignore the divine character of God even when there are infallible proofs of it before their eyes. There are people who will deny the work of God even in their own life. And listen, I want to go... Uh, it starts in the simple form. There are people in this world today. We talk about our society today. We read things on social media. We read what people, the way people act, the way people believe. Uh, we're kind of in this land of deconstruction. Y'all understand what I mean? I'm not trying to get too deep in the weeds, but everybody uh, records a TikTok today de deconstructing something that was a fundamental truth, and they're trying to prove why everything we've been taught is wrong. It's a whole movement out there of people trying to show you that everything the Bible says is clearly wrong. We've had it wrong the whole time. And there's a, genera a, not a generation of people who are falling into that. And I don't have time to go into it right now. I won't. I'll tell you, there are some things that within the church that we've done to cause some of that that we need to repent and fall on our face for. I won't, I, again, I'm not going to you know, take the blame and just say, oh, I'm sorry and fall down to them. But I'm telling you, there are things that the church has done that have caused some of those things. But I'm also here to tell you today that just because the world likes to cast doubt and throw it doesn't mean that the truth isn't still the truth. Just because somebody may, may want to debate you doesn't mean that you're wrong in the faith. You all understand what I'm telling you? There's people that, and the problem is, is even within the church, I think sometimes we get so swept up and we won't, oh, we just need to hear from God. We just need to hear from God. And listen, don't get me wrong. I believe you better live every day hearing God's voice. But, but sometimes within our circle, we want to hear from God, but we're not opening the Bible. We're waiting for somebody like PB or Pastor Lot or somebody to get on stage and preach a sermon that agrees exactly with what we're, we're doing, and that's the Word from God, and that's important, but you got the Word of God accessible to you 24-7. Sometimes we want the Word of God, meaning we're waiting for a light to shine in our bedroom at 3 o'clock in the morning and an angel and a vision to come out and begin to just tell us plainly, this thou shalt do. Listen, if you've had those experiences, I'm not going to doubt you and call you crazy. I'm thankful. I'm going to tell you how He speaks to me. Nine times out of ten is when I open His Word. And then I'll walk with Him and I'll hear His still small voice with me as I walk through the day. Is this, this okay? Try not to chase a rabbit here, but I need to make sure that you understand this facet. There's people who God's been trying to speak to, but because they're sort of narrow vision, they have a way that God has to speak to them. They want it in a certain way and it has to say a certain thing. It has to agree with what they want. And so they're looking for a sign. We're looking for God, just tell me what I need to do. Is this okay? But the proof is in front of you. God's saying the proof was in front of you through this miracle. This is the finger of God. Listen, there's some of you within the church right now who have been saved a long time, but maybe you're in a situation right now where you found yourself at a crossroads. You need to understand what to do. You need to understand how to overcome a situation. I'm telling you this because I've been there. I'm not telling you anything I haven't gone through. That's why I can preach to this because I've been in situations where I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I've waited for prophetic words or some sort of supernatural occurrence or some sort of, you know, loud booming voice. And God said, you already know what to do. It's in the Bible. Keep doing what you're supposed to and follow after me. Quit waiting for some divine supernatural thing to happen for you to get up and start moving and working for my kingdom. You know, 
There are things the Bible clearly says we're to go about and we're supposed to work. We're supposed to be the light of Jesus, amen. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. We're supposed to give. We're supposed to be a part of the fellowship. I don't need a divine, you know, light to stop me in the road for me to start doing those things. I can tell I've already started meddling. Let's move on. The proof, and some people are like, well, I just, sometimes I feel like I don't even know if the Lord's listening. And I, I promise you, I've been there. I don't feel like the Lord's listening to my prayers, but you know what the Lord told me? He said, the proof isn't in me doing something for you in the future. Why don't you stop and look at where you are now and where you've been? Because I'm here to tell you, if your life right now is better off spiritually, I'm not talking about you got more money in the bank, and that's good, I could preach on that too, but I won't. I mean, that, that's a great thing. I believe in blessings. But, but, but listen, if your life, if you're closer to God now, if you can clearly say that I am closer to God today than I was last year, then you're doing something right. God's moving in your life. You know why? Because you're not going to get closer to God on your own. If you were once a, a sinner who did everything in the book that we could name, but now your life has changed, guess what? God has done something in you. Amen? You didn't do it yourself. You didn't follow the steps, and those steps cured it. It wasn't your self-will. It wasn't self-actualization, as some would lead, you know, lead you to believe. It was the hand of God on your life. So, we have to understand that fact before we can go farther into where we, we really need to go today, where I'm hoping to take you. I'm still in background. I'm sorry. But we need to understand that it's God's work in your life. His hand at work in your life. The devil will want to get in your mind and let you start taking credit for what God has done in you. Don't do that. Go to verse 17. So this is how Jesus responds. He says, but he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he knew what they were thinking. He knew they were trying to test him. He knew that they were doubting. He knew that they were in unbelief. So he had to sort of set the stage. He had to clear some things up. So he tells them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to what? desolation again a whole other sermon you could go there i won't do it today but if, if you're constantly in division it's not going to prosper if this church was constantly divided we would never accomplish anything if the kingdom of god continues to be divided like it is right now we're not going to accomplish anything are y'all listening to me any kingdom against itself is going to fall to desolation it's not going to pass a house divided against a house will do what it'll fall that's why if you don't have your house in order and there's not order, there's not respect for parents and parents aren't respecting and taking care of children the way they need to, what's going to happen? Desolation. And we talk about it, pastor talks about it every week. That's where we are. That's where we are. We've, we've lost that sort of idea. The division has caused us to fall. Verse 18, if Satan also is divided against himself, then how will his kingdom stand? Jesus is just using some logic here. What sense would it make for me to cast the devil out of somebody if I was the devil? If I was the devil, I'd want the devil to be in that person. We'd just keep on possessing everybody, right? Common sense. I'm here to tell you, there's people who, the, the, the enemy and doubt will, will cause you to start coming up with arguments that don't make any logical sense. And if you don't believe that, just again, scroll through social media a little bit this afternoon. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't encourage it, but I mean, you know, if you really don't... You just listen to what people are saying, and you're like, that don't make any sense. How do these people, what, what's happening here? It's, it's, it's a spirit of deception. We don't even have good logic anymore. Hmm. So he's saying, because I cast out demons by Beelzebub, you think that's it? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. But in verse 20, if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted, and he divides his spoils. So he who is not with me is what? And he doesn't gather with me does what? Here's what I want to want to do for the next few moments. Again, I took way too much background time, but that's okay. That sort of sets the stage for kind of what I want to do right here. What Jesus just gave you in that verse is, is what I'm going to call today a tale of the tape. Anybody ever heard that before? A tale of the tape. Y'all know what that means? 
Some of y'all that have listened to me, or just even if you have a relationship with me, know me pretty well. I'm kind of my guilty pleasure. I'm a combat sports fan, you know, which, you know, I kind of like pro wrestling. That loosely falls in that category. But, man, if it's a big boxing fight, I like to watch it. I really like to watch UFC. Anybody ever watch UFC fights in here? And what they do is before these two combatants, whether it's two men or two women that are about to get into this cage and, and fight. Some of y'all started giving me looks. I hope I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not too spiritual to watch fights. I hope that's okay with you. Some of y'all are like, like, okay. Stay with me. Don't let that spirit overtake you today. But no, I, 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 you get these two people and they're getting ready to fight. And, and UFC, really, that's how they've had success is because they market this. They know what people want. You can, you can turn off just about any UFC. You don't even have to really know anything about them. But by the time they get in the cage, you're ready to watch them fight. Why? Because they're going to do a profile on them. They're going to show you a video. And they're going to show you what they did in their last several fights. So where they are, is this somebody who's coming off some losses and is desperate? Is this somebody who's been mowing down people and now they're about to get a big, big challenge? It's going to tell you and show you that. You're going to get to hear them talk some trash, which is always fun. What they're going to do, how they're going to defeat their opponent. And then they're going to do their entrances, or they're going to play music, and they're going to come in there doing all their dance moves and everything, looking more cool than my white self can. (laughs) And then they get in there, the cage shuts, and before they do the introductions, they do this graphic. It's called the tale of the tape. Anybody ever seen that before? And it puts both of them up there, shows them what their record is, shows their weight, which usually in a fight they're supposed to be pretty close because that's how you keep it fair. You don't have 250-pound people fighting 125-pound people. You try to keep it fair. It tells you kind of they're used to. It kind of tells you where they're from, their, their heritage, their country. It kind of tells you their height. gives them their advantages, their reach advantage. If someone has a better reach, they're going to be at an advantage in the fight. Does that make sense? It's going to give them all that information. Sometimes it'll tell you what their specialty is. Some fighters are <clears throat> Brazilian jiu-jitsu masters, so they're going to be looking to grab any kind of joint they can and twist it almost off the body. They're not really looking to box you. They want you to kind of, they, they want to sort of bring you in, bring you to the ground, put you in some kind of arm bar or something like that, right? Y'all with me? That's jiu-jitsu. Some of them are wrestlers. They're college wrestlers. So really, the only thing they're going to do the whole time is they're going to look to shoot in, grab your legs, bring you to the ground, get on top of you. That's their strength. Some are kickboxers, so it's going to tell you whether they're going to be looking to strike. Is this making sense? (laughs) The tail of the tape is going to sort of match them up. You're going to know who's going to be able to do what. Well, Jesus gives you a tail of the tape right here between himself and the enemy. So it's important for us, if you'll bear with me for just a few more moments, I want to show you this tail of the tape. He's going to tell you what the enemy has to offer and how he's going to fight in the cage. Because again, as I said, there is a fight going on right now in the spirit realm for your body, in your mind, for your spirit, trying to prevent you from from anything that it is that He wants you to do. There's a fight going on. Everything and everyone belong to one of these two kingdoms. It comes down to whether you're either with God or you're with the enemies. Everybody with me? The warriors are described here. The battle is fought here. The victory is won here, and then the purse is going to be divided. So just like two cage fighters, they're going to get in, they're going to fight, someone's going to win, someone's going to get their hand raised, someone's going to get the purse, the money, or the belt, right? Well, here's what he does. In this corner, over to this side, we'll use this side. The enemy is in the corner right here, Satan. And Jesus is setting it up. Yeah, there is an enemy. Notice, go back to verse 21. Notice in verse 21 what he says about the enemy. He calls him, in this verse, that's who he's referring to. He says, when a strong man, everybody say strong man. And don't, again, don't get religious on me. I'm not here glorifying the devil, but I think we need to have a good, clear character of who we're dealing with. Does that make sense? The devil's a strong man. There's strength there. The enemy has some power. You know what his strength is? Throughout the Bible, his strength is cunning and deceit. Again, just in my mind, if you'll play with my analogy here, I don't think the devil's going to be a striker when he gets into an octagon. I don't think the devil's going to be that one-punch knockout power. He's, He's the type of person that he'll get you in the cage and he'll sort of lull you to sleep. You see, when I watch UFC fights at times, there's some that, man, they're looking to knock you out within the first minute because if it gets past that first round, they're going to be in trouble. 
The devil's someone who wants to lull you to sleep. He's going to use cunning and deceit. He's going to make you think that everything's okay. He showed this from the very beginning, Genesis 1, or the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and appears to Adam and Eve. What did he do? He didn't come out and immediately just say, I'm the devil and you will worship me, did he? It just started with a little bit of a whisper, a little bit of a phrase. Hey, I know God said something about that tree, but, you know, it's not really that bad. Made Eve comfortable enough to have a conversation with him as a serpent. And we know the rest is history. He's able to con them into eating the fruit and going against God and sin comes and a curse comes. Satan comes as a trusting friend who gains access to the gates of the soul as an angel of light. A lot of times we entertain the devil, but we don't realize we're entertaining the devil. I mean, if the devil came in sort of the traditional garb as something evil, something ugly, something we knew would destroy us, we would, you know, common sense would probably help us keep him away, right? But you take a look at your life and the places where the enemy has attacked you in your life, it probably came in disguised as something that was going to be a friend or something that was going to be a help to you. Does this make sense? Many fail to discern him in this form, but he's strong to overcome the righteous hesitation of the young. He's strong enough to deceive the Godward longings of the old. It's just little whispers of doubt. Are you sure that's true? You hear the word being proclaimed. Well, are you sure about that? You hear the truth of God's worth going on and just a little bit of a doubt. Well, I'm not sure. He whispers things like it's too late. You probably have heard that voice. You ever, at the, maybe you're at a point of your life where you feel like God may be leading you towards something and then all of a sudden you start hearing on the other side, no, it's too late. You don't need to try that. You should have tried that when you were younger. That's the devil. You've gone too far. You've messed up way too many times. There's not enough. You, you, you might as well just give up on it. That's the devil. You've sinned too much. You, you come from such a bad place. You're from that family. You have that name. Has anybody listened so far? Okay, good, good, good. The enemy is strong, but you see, the thing is, is his strength is limited. He isn't almighty, yet he's strong enough that his attacks have been working for centuries and centuries and centuries. Despite the fact he's not almighty, his wiles are innumerable and his darts are fiery. Again, he may not have that knockout punch that can take you out right away, but he'll weigh on you. And then when the fight, you get tired in the third round of a three-round UFC fight, if they were using that, again, that analogy, and you're starting to get tired, he's been weighing on you, and he's just been kicking you in the leg a couple of times each round. By that third round, you know, that one leg kick didn't do much to you. But if you watch those fights and somebody gets kicked in the leg about 15 times, you start seeing that thing swell and get weak. It's kind of hard to put your foot down and throw a punch. Again, just from my watching experience. <laughs> but I can imagine. It's hard for you to put that leg down and to, to sort of connect and to attack. It's just a slow fade. And by that third round when it's, it's do or die and you need to sort of get through, guess what? It's hard. And it's in that moment where the enemy who's been sort of wily can start to take the advantage. Does this make sense? Is this good? Make sure you follow me here. That's who the devil is. What's his condition? Go back again to verse 21. Notice it said he is a strong man, and the next part it said was he is fully armed. Everybody catch that? Fully armed. See, the enemy doesn't come, he ain't coming to play without any protection. He's got an armor, his armor is darkness. We just sang about it. Aren't we glad that Jesus brought us in the marvelous light? Why do we need to be brought in the marvelous light? Because in the dark, that's where the enemy's doing his bidding. That's where he's doing his fighting. Those who are in darkness are under his power and influence. He has an armor that's opposite of God's. We, we, we talk a lot about the whole armor of God that we have to put on. The enemy wants you to put on an army or an armor. His girdle is falsehood. God tells you to gird yourself in truth. What are you girding yourself with with the enemy? He wants to gird you with falsehoods. Those lies that are constantly in your mind. You're not worth it. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. You're going to fail. 
You're, 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 you've gone too far. There's nothing else for you. Some of you right now, I can sense this real strongly. Some of you even this week have been battling those lies that have been coming into your mind that the enemy's been throwing at you. I'm here to tell you that's the girdle's not for you. His breastplate is wickedness. He wants you to gird your heart with wickedness, with things that will lead you astray, things that go against the Word of God. That's why this flesh that we have to crucify, that we, we allow to die, we can't let it to have any hold because it'll lead our heart to wickedness. We know the armor of God, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, the opposite of peace is enmity. You ever been around those people, it didn't matter what you do, they're going to raise up and come against you, they're going to argue with you, they're going to fight with you. They're, they just wake up today, there's kind of a, a saying online, if you ever get in each other, well, I woke up today and chose violence. That means they're just coming after anything. Even if, they, even if it has nothing to do with what they really want, people will get online and they'll argue and they'll get in the chats and they'll just want to take the dissenting view just to stir the pot. Anybody know anybody like that? Quit pointing fingers. There's some people that they carry on that spirit where I'm just going to stir something up. I don't care. They just sort of take a, 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 some sort of weird glee into causing strife and causing conflict. The shield that the enemy uses is doubt. If the shield of the Lord is faith, then He's going to cause us to doubt. His helmet isn't of salvation, but it's of doom. It's of damnation. It's, it's the helmet of saying that you're, you're, you're done. You're not worth it. You're not enough. His sword is the imaginations of an evil heart. It's not the truth of the, of the power of the Word of God, which we know can slay anything in our hand. He wants you to carry a weapon of anything you can make up and you can come up with. That's the reason we're in a day and age of false doctrines and people sort of making up things as they go. That's the sword the enemy wants you to use. I'm here to tell you there's no power with that. So the tail of the tape is character. We know he's cunning and he's deceitful. He's coming fully armed. He's ready to attack. But let's look at his occupation. As I said in those videos before the fight, sometimes it'll tell you they may not be full-time fighters, maybe more of them now, but especially when I first started watching them when I was younger, there, there wasn't a lot of money for full-time fighters. So you had, you had school teachers. <laughs> There's a guy named Rich Franklin. I don't know if you've ever... Rich Franklin was a school teacher by day and would go to the UFC and was a UFC champion. And I was like, that is cool. Because, I mean, how does he have time to train and get all this stuff up? He had an occupation. Well, the enemy has an occupation. He's a strong man, fully armed, and this is what his occupation is. This is what his job is. It is to guard his own what? Palace. What is his palace? His palace is the dungeon of the unrenewed heart. He lives in the heart that has not been changed and transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because I want you to imagine that dark, unrenewed heart. The windows are covered up. They're tinted. Everything is dingy and moldy. And guess what? When you look through windows that are tinted or, or blocked or dark or dirty who haven't been renewed, guess what? The perspective when you look out of those mirrors or out of those windows, that perspective is messed up. You don't see things the way they really are, do you? Why? Because the enemy wants to keep you in that. He wants you to look at things through his tinted eyes. You know what happens when you do that? You think that everything someone says has something negative to do with you. It gets you in that mindset where every decision that made that goes against you, you, you see it through a messed up tent. You think that everybody's personally out to get you and to destroy you. Again, I can tell you that. Why? Because I've been there. I've been there where the enemies had me deceived and think that everything, and he, that's where he wants to keep you. He wants to keep you trapped in that, that perversion. When I mean perversion, that's what I mean, the perverted way of seeing the truth. If he can mess up your perspective, then he messes up. I mean, perspective is reality, essentially, right? If he can mess up the way you see things, then he's going to mess up the way that you react to things. Satan minds this chamber to ensure that the soul remains ignorant of the freedom. That's the saddest thing about it. Satan controls hearts, he parades, and he rules over these palaces, and he keeps souls entrapped to where they can't see the fact that just on the other side, if they would just allow Jesus to come into their heart, he would renew them, he would clean it up, and they would have fresh freedom. Goodness. But Satan doesn't want that to happen. 
He wants to, the soul to remain ignorant of that freedom, and he wants that soul to remain submissive to complacency. This is the way it is, and we're just going to keep it that way. His possession, notice what he says there, his goods are in peace. As long as he's controlling the palace, then guess what? His stuff is safe, right? Listen, there's a reason, all, I, and I'm, I'm in this reason I have a camera on, at my house where I can at some time see if anybody, why, why do we do that kind of thing? Because we want to make sure nobody's messing with stuff, right? Well, look, Satan wants to make sure nobody's messing with his stuff. The problem is, is the stuff that he's messing with doesn't belong to him. Let me show you the stuff. As long as he's possessing the heart, as long as he's possessing the chamber, he possesses everything else that goes with you, the faculties. Let me show you real quick what those are. If he controls your heart, he controls your reason. Reason is the governor of, of your being. Reason is, is, is literally as it says, it's why you do what you do. If Satan controls your heart, then he can control the reason the, the, you, you feel justified in all the bad you're doing. He controls understanding. That's the receiver of information. Everything that you get, it starts to go through the filter of Satan and he can distort it and tell you what you want to hear from it. He messes with your memory. Memory's the recorder of the mind. That's how we, we put things into our soul. Satan will mess with that. He messes with your conscience. You realize conscience is the discerner. It's how you tell what is good and what is not. You get that messed up, then you'll allow people into your life that have no business into your life. He'll mess with your will. He'll control your will. That's the decider of what you do. And lastly, even your affection. That's how you distribute everything of yourself to other people. The enemy control your heart. Guess what he'll do? He'll mess with your affection. You'll dry up and you'll be a grouch and you won't know how to talk to people. You don't know how to love people. You don't know how to build relationship. Why? Because your affection has been all messed up by Satan. Does this make sense? When Satan controls you, those are the things he has. Your reason, your understanding, your memory, your conscience, your will, and your affection. Those are the things that happen with Satan. That's the tail of the tape. That's what he has in this corner. And all of a sudden, I sit here and I'm talking about all this, and some of you, maybe even the enemy's messing with you. See, yeah, I'm powerful, but here's the beauty of it. That's just one corner. We have someone else in the other corner. There's somebody else in the other corner in verse 22. But when a what? A stronger than he comes upon him. <laughs> we have someone who first of all is stronger than the enemy. How much stronger is he? I want you to think he's as stronger than the Satan as the sun is stronger than the darkness. <laughs> you know what? It was dark for a little while from probably about, what, 8 o'clock last night to maybe about 6 o'clock or so this morning. But it doesn't matter how much the earth decides, man, or anybody on this earth decides, man, I'd love to have about three or four more hours of darkness so I could sleep more. There's a power that arises that overcomes all of it. It's the sun, amen? Well, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter how powerful Satan wants to be in your life when it comes down to it and they come into conflict, there is no power on earth that can overtake the power of God, Amen? How strong are the hills and the mountains to stand amidst the crashing waves of an ocean? Thus our Deliverer is strong and He's mighty and He is able to overcome. His arm is strong enough to uphold the universe and guide the helm of providence all at the same time. His Word is so strong that there is no force on earth that can prevent it from coming to pass. And the Bible says that His Word will remain forever and ever. Not only is His Word strong, but His work is strong. His foundation stands true. You see, Jesus, He was called the builder, or the stone that the builder rejected. That stone went on to become the chief cornerstone that everything that we do as a church and as the kingdom of God has been built upon. And I'm here to tell you, no matter how strong this enemy is, he can't touch a single stone of what our God has built. Amen? Somebody should give God praise for that. And guess what else he says? The gates of hell can't prevail against it. Neither time or eternity or the powers thereof can ever displace a single stone of his building. There is one who has come to seek and to save, and with him nothing is impossible. His enemy, no enemy is too strong, his power, no difficulty, too monstrous for his strength. Jesus is our victorious warrior, amen? Amen. 
But not only that, but look at the encounter. The prince of life and the prince of darkness, they're going to have to come in the close combat. It has to come in the conflict. There's a reason why I use the analogy of the cage fight. They have to fight. It was from, the, again, the very beginning of time. Genesis 3.15, in the middle of the curse, God's speaking to him, and he's talking to the devil, and he's cursing the devil for what he did. And notice what he said. He said, I'm going to put enmity between man and woman, or between you and the woman, I should say. Enmity between you and the woman, and I'm going to put enmity between your seed and her seed. Her seed was capitalized. You know who her seed was? That was Jesus God knew even at that moment that I'm going to have to send my son to fix what has just went wrong right here. And he says, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his what? His heel. He already told you right there at the beginning, there's going to come an ultimate fight. There's an ultimate fight that's going to happen where his, his heel is going to bruise your head. You may bruise his heel, but his heel is going to bruise your head. I don't have time to go into all of it, but he gave an example of this. You read the Old Testament, you want to see, he, he sort of illustrated the way this all had to work through David and Goliath. It's a story we all know. You sort of illustrate and see how David and Goliath worked. I mean, this, this boy, the shepherd boy who was young and he was undersized, he was thought the least of his whole family. Yet he was the one who was anointed with power to go and to, to take over his king. And after he's anointed, this this big Philistine Goliath comes in and he's taunting him and he's wanting someone to fight and nobody has the bravery to stand up to him except for David. David had the willingness to stand up to this giant. Why? Because he knew it wasn't about his power. It was about whose? God's. I mean, I got to sort of see for the first time really I feel like I understand David and Goliath a few months ago and, and I won't take too much time here but... Um, some of you know that me and my dad, my brother, and my, and my son Joseph, we went to, a, to, to see WrestleMania a few months back. And as a part of that, in the hotel we were in, there were several old former wrestlers that were in the hotel doing autograph signings and things like that. So there was normal for us to go into a hotel and there'd just be somebody walk in. Well, I remember one day, where the four of us are in this elevator and the elevator door opens and this dude walks in that I recognized immediately. You see, he started wrestling when I was a kid in like 1995. They called him the Giant. He went on to a different company and they started calling him the Big Show. He was even on a movie called The Waterboy. You may have seen he was Captain Insano on that movie. Either way, I recognized the face immediately. It, like, it was like an eclipse. It covered like the whole elevator door. And he joked around. He said, is there room for me? And me being me said, oh yeah, there's room. Get in here. We're going to make room. I'm not going to miss a chance to be in the elevator with the big shit. And my son, <laughs> my son was right behind me at first because, you know, normally he would sort of get behind me, you know, because we didn't know who would be coming on the elevator and stuff. But Joseph, I laughed so, so, so much at it. And he's, he's smaller than everybody in his class anyway. Most of y'all see him. He's 10, but he's a little smaller than everybody anyway. So that's, I guess, why I thought it was a good analogy. He, get, he moves from behind me and walks right up to, like, no fear. No, he just walked right up to the big show once he saw who he was and looked right up at him like this. And it was literally like this. And he put his hand out and Joseph shook his hand. And I was, didn't know if Joseph would get his hand back. It was just like swallowed up in it. And he was kind. He was like, why are, you stand, why are you stepping up to me for, man? I don't know your money or anything like that, but... Joseph was excited and we had a moment. But I say all that literally in that moment. This is what went to mind. As cool as that moment was, I was like, my goodness, that must have been what David versus Goliath had to have looked like. That was quite the mismatch. My son versus this seven-foot behemoth of a man. But you know what? That was the symbol of what Jesus was going to have to do to overcome the enemy. Because David not only had to kill the giant, but again, I'm, I'm sort of wrapping the story up if that's okay, but... He had to kill the giant. It couldn't just knock him down with a rock, but notice that's not where the story ended. He said, you also have to kill him with his own sword. you got to cut his head off. you got to make sure that there's no opportunity, no chance whatsoever. Are you all listening? You see, Jesus had to, had to fight with the enemy. He had come across the wiles and the cunning and deceit. He had to listen to the voices too when He was in the wilderness. He had to deal with all the enmity and all the hate and all the fighting. He had to deal with that every day he faced the Pharisees. 
He witnessed some of the power of, of the devil when he had to deal with these demon-possessed people. All the works of the enemy, he had to deal with them then. But his final battle was with Satan there on the cross. It was there where when they put his heel on the cross and they nailed that heel to the cross, that was when his heel was bruised. If they were in the cage fight, Satan had Jesus and put him in a heel hook and thought that he had it all taken care of. But through death, (laughs) the writer of Hebrews says it like this, through death, Jesus destroyed the person who had power over death. You know what he did? It was David killing Goliath with his own sword. When Jesus said, you thought you killed me by dying, I'm going to show you that I'm going to take your own sword, death, and I'm going to say, where is its sting? Because I'm going to take that and I'm going to prove and show you that I have power over that. You can only keep me dead for a few days, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to destroy it then. Amen? My goodness. Through that, he had his victory. He destroyed he who had the power of death. He killed Goliath with his own sword. The helmet was broken. The head was bruised. Jesus Christ provided emancipation for our souls and purchased our freedom. Amen? No longer do I have to remain in that dark chamber of uh, of the devils, but I am living in freedom. Amen? I don't have to be slaves to the ignorance of the lies of the enemy, but I can walk in the light of truth. Last thing, that's where His grace comes in. You see, Jesus came and He overcome. The Bible says He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave with Him. And then He divided the spoils. He divided the spoils. So now, all those things that the enemy wanted to control in our lives, if we're willing, we can submit those to Jesus. And He becomes the controller of my affection. Amen. He becomes the controller of my reason. He becomes the controller of of my my will, the person who I look to to decide what I want to do. He also gives us pardon. I don't have to face the punishment anymore. He's pardoned my sins. Oh, I deserve it. But on that day when I stand before the judge, it's going to say He has been pardoned. His sins have been forgiven. Amen? I don't have to live in conflict and fussing and fighting with folks anymore. I don't have to sit there. I can live in peace. I have power. I've been promised paradise. You see, men have been spoiled of their goods by the devil, but when Jesus overcomes, he recaptures them and he gives them. And guess what? The devil can't do anything to pluck us from his hand. Amen? He who the Son has set free is what? Free indeed. So, when it comes to the two, this is the tail of the tape. And when they get into the cage, it's an absolute mixed match. It's a mismatch. The enemy has, he's planned, he's, he's won some battles over people before. He has some people in his corner. But I'm here to tell you that the king of the universe came. He's stronger and he has overcome and he has defeated the enemy in our lives. Amen? Here's what I want to share with you as you stand, as we finish up. I told you at the beginning, I don't know if I was as good a steward of your time as I may to be, but I did tell you at the beginning, it was a simple message. Here's what I want to ask you, and I want to, allow, I want to ask and allow Holy Spirit to speak. If you'll just sort of close your eyes, bow your heads right there where you are. Just a couple of moments. I want you to allow Holy Spirit to begin to speak to your heart, speak to your soul, begin to bring some things to your mind. Maybe you happen to be here and you have yet to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You've been living in the darkness of your soul. You've been looking at things through the wrong perspective. You've allowed His lies to overtake and you've been living a life that isn't peaceful. But maybe it's because you're here and say, I have yet to surrender my life to Jesus. Tonight's or today, this morning's a time for that to happen. And maybe you're here and you say, PB, I've been saved 45 years or Something along those lines, and I'm thankful for that. But I can tell you, I've been saved and in this thing a long time. There are moments where the enemy begins to bring those lies back to my mind. He begins to speak those things. There are times when he starts to just try to bring a little bit of doubt in the truth of God to our hearts and to our spirits. Maybe there have been situations and circumstances. You say, PB, I know the Lord, but man, I just, 
these circumstances have been hindering me. Maybe they've been kicking my tail. Maybe if we're using this analogy, you just feel like you've been in the cage and you've taken a couple of tough shots or maybe you feel like the enemy's trying to choke something out of you. Whatever that is right now, just as I'm speaking, I want you to allow Holy Spirit, I believe He will, and I pray Holy Spirit now begin to speak. I believe there are things on the inside of you that He's beginning to highlight, He's beginning to show, that He's bringing to your remembrance. Hey, these are areas that you need me to come and clean out in your life. These are areas where you need me to come and, and, and reign victory in your life. As we pray this dismissal prayer today, I just pray that you surrender those to Him, that you allow Him to move into your heart and take dominion one more time. I'm going to say a prayer, then you're going to be dismissed to classes. If after that you need someone to agree in special prayer with you, to, to lead you to accept Jesus Christ, or maybe you just want me to agree in prayer with you, I'll be glad to do that. I'll hang around right here for a moment. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in you. Father, all of us were born into sin. We were born into, under the enemy's captivity. We were born in darkness. But Father, we are thankful that you sent your son to overcome the enemy. You sent your son so that we could live a life more victorious, that we could follow after you in his marvelous light. Father, today there are people, God, that maybe they, have, they feel like they've been burdened down. Maybe their life has remained in darkness. Maybe there are people that have not accepted Jesus as their Savior. Father, I pray, God, that right now you'll prick their heart and draw them close to you as they simply confess their sins and call upon your name. Father, there are people here, God, that, Lord, they've given you their lives. They've been saved. But, Father, there's areas where the enemy has been using attacks, where he's been deceiving or he's tried to gain some footholds, their lies, their doubts, their things that he's put into to hearts and in the minds to try to cause distraction, to cause diversion, to prevent them from reaching the destiny and fulfilling the call. Father, I pray today that you will be victorious in their life, that your Holy Spirit will flood into their souls today, that you'll show us the areas that we can confess and give you dominion over one more time. I pray that your hand be on each one here, that you give us a great week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Go get the devil fits.